Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, no matter where you're listening, around the world, this is Sedona Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Spiritual Tools. My name is Melissa Boyd. I am a vibrational, intuitive medium and business strategist and your host for Spiritual Tools. You're joining us live on August 13th, 2015, and my guest tonight is Paul Rellis. And before I bring Paul onto the show, I want to tell you, if you're new to Spiritual Tools, what the show is all about. So remember that we are all actually spirit beings, we're vibrational beings having a physical experience on this planet. So one of the things I love to do is to bring resources to you from folks around the world who are doing really innovative things to raise the vibrational frequency of the planet. So sometimes it's people who work with sound, people who work with light, people who work with animals. And tonight we have someone who's done so much for the earth and, um, we're going to have a great discussion about this. If you were, um, want to follow me on Facebook, I'm Melissa Boyd, Vibrational Intuitive Medium, and my website is melissaboyd.net, and I do have a Soul Tools resource page, and you can always re-listen to any shows that you'd like to um, at melissaboyd.net under Talk Radio. If you're in New England, I do have some upcoming events I'd like to tell you about. I'll be doing a vibrational yoga, that's right, yoga and spirit messages. You will receive gift bags for soul development. I will be at Creating Spaces in Portland, Maine on September 12th and 13th, and that workshop is from 1 to 4.30. I'll also be back at Greener Postures in West Falmouth, Maine, October 3rd and 4th from 1 to 4.30. And I know folks have been saying, oh, my gosh, you're booking until November. How can I get a session with you? Well, if you're in New England, I will be doing a Spirit World Gallery. That will be messages from Spirit. We'll be having a sound healing as well as gift bags for soul development. And that's coming up very soon. It's Monday, August 24th from 630 to 830. And that's at River Tree Arts in Kennebunk, Maine. And you can get your uh, tickets through uh, River Tree Arts is limited to 45 people. And although not everyone will receive a direct message from Spirit, everyone will receive a gift bag for soul development and also um, a tuning of your, your higher frequencies. And I also have fall classes coming up. There are spaces still available in the Now series about opening up your intuition and learning ways to live in the now. That's from 6.15 to 8.30 at my office in Kennebunk, Maine, on September 9th, 16th, 23rd, and 30th. And you can find all about that at my website at melissaboy.net. So I am so, so excited tonight to um, talk about uh, the environment. And I, I have um, Paul um, on, on the line here. But before I introduce Paul and talk a little bit about his work, I want to say that, you know, um, there's so many parallels with the the work that um, we're going to talk about. And before we were getting ready for tonight's show, people might say, well, what does the earth and the environment have to do with spirituality? And we're going to dive into that tonight, but it really has everything to do with spirituality. Uh, For many years, I I worked in the environmental field, and I actually... um, set up, uh, was on the committee to set up recycling for the city of Portland, Maine, and that was um, over uh, 20, 
before 25 years ago. And so now everything, people are becoming more conscious of this, so it's really exciting. So let me tell you about Paul. So Paul Rellis is the author of Out of the Wasteland, Stories of the Environmental Frontier. He was raised in Long Beach, California. While studying at the University of California, Santa Barbara, a massive oil spill erupted off the coast of Santa Barbara on January 28, 1969. That devastated the coastline, killed much aquatic life, and severely damaged the local economy. The oil spill was a transformative event in the history of the U.S. and influenced the establishment of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, Earth Day, and other landmark environmental programs. The oil spill was a life-changing event for Paul. He became the first executive director of the newly formed nonprofit, the Community Environmental Council, at age 23. He played a critical role in staving off several proposed developments that would have changed Santa Barbara's Santa Barbara forever, and under his leadership, he built visionary projects including recycling facilities, urban gardens, and an urban farm, green buildings, and other programs that decades ago, decades ago, after 20 years of locally-based work, Paul took an executive position with the California EPA, where he helped to lead the state of California's nation-leading recycling programs. From 1996 to 2013, Paul taught in the Environmental Studies Department of the University of California, Santa Barbara. He is a board member of the Community Environmental Council and sits on the boards of the American Biogas Council and the Bioenergy Association of California. Paul and his wife live in Santa Barbara, California, and Taos, New Mexico. They have three children. Now, um, I don't just want to read Paul's bio. I want to say I was able to meet him personally recently in Maine, and um, it, we had a wonderful conversation, and his book is just really amazing. And, Paul, welcome to Spiritual Tools. Well, thanks uh, for having me, Melissa. It's an honor to be here. You know, and um, I, I think it's it's kind of a, a, a fun thing to tell folks how we actually met. <laughs> um <laughs> I I actually I I met Paul I think it was maybe a year ago via phone was it about a year ago maybe um, on a yes. on a, a, a phone session and of course when people you know when I do phone sessions folks know I don't want to know anything about who you are what you do and so um, the first thing that I got really strongly pulled to say to Paul um, is about you know this book this book this book and it's about the environment and changing things. And, of course, I tell people who have crossed over, and um, I, I did have the privilege to actually meet David Brower, who founded the Sierra Club and worked with Friends of the Earth and has done such great um, work, and he's actually crossed over. He, he has died since, and he came through and said, you know what, Paul, this is just such a great, a great thing. <laughs> and, um, and then, of course, I read the book, and I would agree with David Brower that this book is really um, changing, um, going to be changing the environmental landscape as we know it. So, uh, Paul, tell us a little bit about yourself and your vision for the environmental movement. Well, um, Melissa, I, uh, I, as, as you mentioned in my biography, um, I was a very young person when I be became involved in environmental work in the aftermath of this massive spill in Santa Barbara, and you probably heard 
there was a more recent still, uh, not far from the original one, some uh, 45 years later. Uh, so I found myself uh, uh, wanting to do something to protect the Earth, uh, to deal with the problem of oil, and that's been uh, more or less central to my work over a 40-year period. Uh, can we, as a, a world civilization, uh, decouple from the petroleum economy that has uh, guided our future for some uh, hundred years almost now, and now with climate change, we realize uh, it's critical to do something about it now. Yeah, it's it's really um, it's frightening when we when we look at what's what's being done to the earth. And um, you know, I know that you you talk a lot about this in your book. And you know, I, I said this to you when we met, and I and I and I would ask you again, you know. What was your vision when you decided to write this book, and will you tell our listeners about w- what the book is about and and what you know what you see your vision is for that? Well, I think uh, in my per- particular case, uh, the event triggered some something in my consciousness. Uh, I wasn't an environmentalist before that, and I found myself uh, motivated to do things I'd never contemplated before and become a leader, in effect, in a community. And uh, I realized very early on that my path, uh, I was interested in the problem-solving side, uh, not being an activist per se, but what what are the alternatives to oil and how would one go about fashioning that? So I'd say my first step was to learn as much as I could about the problem. And if you'll bear with me just a couple of minutes, um, I did kind of a meditation on oil. And when I did, I realized, well, everything that I liked in my life, uh, being able to travel, fly, um, be in a car if I wanted that, uh, every aspect of life was made possible by oil. And so I was perplexed. Well, if if oil is animating everything I like, um, well, what what do I do? But then I saw the shadow side, which was the oil spill and the massive quantities of oil lapping on the shores of our region, killing uh, large numbers of bird life, marine life of all sorts, and essentially shutting down our city for about a year as haphazard efforts were made to clean it up. So um, I wanted to be on the problem-solving side or the the light-giving side, if you will. Mm, that's beautiful. I love that. And um, on page 105 of your book, I'm just going to read a quote that you put in here because, you know, I think so many times people will write books about the environment. They'll talk about recycling projects they do, but we don't always – bring it back to place and spirit of place. And so in your book you have a quote that I love by D.H. Lawrence, and it says, the spirit of place is a great reality. Different places on the face of the earth have different vibration, different chemical exhalation, different polarity with different stars. And I just, I love that because, 
you know, place, or the earth is our place, is all of our places. And I think we, we forget that. Uh, yes, I, I think places have their uh, their power. We, we sense that when we move from one physical um, area to another. Some resonate with us more than others. Some have a certain, as you'd call it, vibrational quality. Uh, the writer D.H. Lawrence, uh, famous English uh, author of last century, uh, he was particularly keen on being able to capture that vibrational quality of a place if he was only there uh, a few hours. It was often said of him that he, he would more accurately describe a place where he'd never been before in a few hours than people could do in a lifetime of living there. Mm. Absolutely. And I know in your book you talk a lot about, um, you know, looking at what we can do to really change and what we can invest in um, and, and rethink the regulatory system and rethink the way in which we which we do business. And could you talk about some of those things? I know some of those things you've innovated in um, California, but what are yes. some of those things that you would say people could look into? Well, first of all, uh, before I get into that, I'd just like to say the book is is not so much a treatise about the environment, but a collection of very personal stories that attempts to not only tell you the what or the why of certain programs, but the people, the human side. I very much wanted to tell human stories about the environment. So I've been involved in the ground floor of green building, urban gardens, urban farming, uh, um, solar energy, uh, land use, all aspects of what people would consider environmental protection and a look at the future. So early on, um, we were engaged in pioneering the, the foundations of what I would call sustainability today. And I was particularly drawn to the idea of theory practice, that unless I could validate something in practice, I would be rather skeptical uh, of certain claims and positions, and I think that's characterized my whole career. I've always wanted to validate the accuracy of something, or if it was solar, would the solar collector work? If it was a garden, could you sustain it? If it was recycling, how do you build it so it can last? Uh, I always tried to build things to last, and you'll find in the stories that almost everything we built as early as 45 years ago, they're still going today. Mm. That's powerful. That's really powerful. And I know um, in your book, I love, you have a chapter called Community Energy Blueprints. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, how, how many people talk about that? You know, we don't realize that, you know, because we all live in a community, and it's important to think about, what is our our blueprint for our community and and what what will that be and I think that um 
and I was going to look it up before the call, and I forgot to, but I know there's places in California where, you know, there's droughts and people don't have water. We're, you know, we're really, we need to think about what we're, what we're using, our consumption. And I loved what you said earlier about oil because I think that, you know, can we take less trips to the store? Can we look at what we buy? Can we bring bags to the store? I mean, there's all different pieces we can do, but I think the awareness of it is really important because it does have a global impact. Well, I think it's all about uh, local. Uh, people talk about big programs. Uh, I've been involved in big programs. But everything begins usually leadership, ideas, they germinate at the local level. Someone comes up with a technology. Uh, they play around with it. Someone comes up uh, with an idea for their community or a blueprint, as you mentioned, for, say, Santa Barbara. How could Santa Barbara, a, some, a small city of about 100,000 people, how could it contemplate uh, getting off of oil? What would have to happen for a city to do that, whether it's a city of 50,000 people or a city of 5 million? Um, the principles are pretty much the same and universal. It's only a matter of scale. So if something begins small, it doesn't mean that it will stay small. It can go global. I've always felt that to be true. I'm convinced uh, witnessing leadership in our community, in the state of California, and elsewhere, that it's always been about beginnings at the local level. Yeah, and it's it's beginning with one person, too. I think it's beginning with one person, and, and how are we going to change things? Um, and people listening may not realize this, but if you if you look from space, and this was true, of, I think, about 15 years ago, so I think it's probably still the case, but if you look from space, you can see three man-made objects. One is a power plant, I believe, over in um, uh, China, and then there's the Great Wall of China, and then there's the Fresh Kills landfill off in New Jersey. So those are the three largest man-made objects seen from space. And that's, you know... Well, I'm, I'm glad you uh, mentioned the, the Fresh Kills uh, landfill that served New York City. It's closed now, but... Um, Waste has been one of the focal points of my work for over 30 years, both uh, at the local Santa Barbara level, California level, and more recently um, a more global technology called anaerobic digestion, which we only have a little bit of time to go into. But um, uh, the point is that waste is the universal problem facing mankind. You can go out to space today, and it's full of clutter from space junk. We just had this accident in Colorado uh, in the Animus, Animus River, Aminus, I'm not sure that the pronunciation, uh, where mm -hmm. uh, an old gold mine ruptured uh, the fluid into the river, and uh, our recent oil spill in Santa Barbara, our most recent, it indicates these are all problems of uh, waste-related legacies. Uh, and if you look all around the world, 
there's just a huge repository of these waste problems that need to be fixed. And we are developing the means to fix them. I do I do believe we are and I think it's um you know, I think about myself as a consumer, you know, and I think if any people are listening, you know, sometimes we listen to this stuff and we read, we read and we go, oh, my gosh, it's such a huge issue. But I really do believe that, like Margaret Mead said, you know, never doubt that a small group of concerned citizens can change the world because it's the only thing that ever has. And I believe that, you know, person by person and and by, you know, with this book, with you telling these stories and and I love how you, you leave the book with solutions. You know, sometimes you read the books and you go, oh, my goodness, <laughs> what's going to happen? But you really, um, I love the way you've written this, and it's, it's very, um, it's, uh, it's taking bites out of it, bite-sized pieces, and really helping people to see that, you know, I believe we can get there. I'm very hopeful about this. And I love, you know, talking about local food as well, because I think that, that, that the movement is really underway in the U.S., of the local food and you know speaking of vibration food is energy and so the vibration of food is also a, a very key thing um, when it comes to the earth we, we had a little discussion Paul before um, about earth and the earth as um, why people work on the earth and around consciousness and Gaia and and those type of um, feelings around working in in the earth field or in the environmental field. Would you talk a little bit about that and what that means for yourself? Uh, Sure. Uh, I think at the core of my work is a story of um, a certain spiritual uh, orientation towards the earth uh, that began when I was probably in high school. I was very interested in the works of uh, Gandhi and King and uh, later studied uh, world religions at the university and met many uh, remarkable people who awakened in me um, uh, not only uh, a, quote, environmental interest, but a spiritual um, understanding of what it would take to sustain environmental work over time because I knew what I was getting into was going to take years and decades of of consistent, steady work, often in the face of adversity. So uh, it became very important to me to develop my own spiritual resources. And among those, one of the illuminators in my life was uh, contact with a, a book called the Bhagavad Gita, which some of your listeners may be familiar with, very ancient Hindu text, uh, which is about, in effect, spiritual archery or the ability to discriminate important things from less important things and how to keep focus in the midst of sometimes chaos or adversity. So my career has been very much uh, engagement. Uh, Some use the term like karma yoga of skill in action, trying to find ways to uh, bring spiritual qualities into very practical actions and to create an interplay between spirit and, uh, I guess, function. So 
So I like to think uh, I've uh, my story is as much about the spiritual engagement as it is in the practical matters, even though I may not speak of that consistently through the book. Um, but behind those stories uh, are, are uh, reflections, meditations, uh, uh, attempts to uh, bring spirit into work. And Gaia, Gaia was uh, uh, the idea that this earth is a living being and, and thinking of it that way, I mean, that is uh, as powerful an image as I could think of in terms of uh, recognizing the, both the, the beauty, the complexity, the intelligence that is embodied in the earth. It's just overpowering when you step back and look. And that's what affected the astronauts when they were out in space and they looked back on this uh, luminous, uh, living Earth against the vastitude of space. And it changed their focus from the space. They looked back on Earth and they, they recognized that's the most important place. And that is so true. Um, I love that. And, um, you know, I think of Edgar Mitchell, who was actually an Apollo 14 astronaut. And when he looked down at the Earth, he said, oh, my goodness, we're all one energy. And then he he formed the Institute for Noetic Sciences and really um, working with the the Earth and, and conscious evolution. And I and I I do believe that you know um, your book, Paul, really is um, inspiring conscious evolution for people. It really does um, speak to helping people to see and through stories, which I think is wonderful because you give a lot of um, a lot of detail and a lot of um, background politically and environmentally. But it's it's a wonderful read because it's told in in in, in your eyes and, and with story instead of um, like sometimes you read things and they're very textbooky and this is just a wonderful flow with um, with these stories and um, the the historical view and how this is is moving forward. So, what would your message be to anyone listening, or wh- where do you see our what is the vision you have for? Um, for the environmental frontier for the for the world and what people can do to to really be part of that. Well, in my concluding remarks in the book, um, you may recall I I talk about the idea of green shoots emerging uh, worldwide, um, forming sort of a tapestry um, that is not uh, very visible yet, but I I detect it from my world travels and uh, reflections, uh, there, there, there are many uh, powerful new currents coming forth. Some of those are expressed technologically, um, meaning the solar technolo- technology of today is, so to speak, ready for prime time. Um, there are new technologies like bioenergy that I'm involved with that every city of 50,000 or more could 
develop enough energy to run their trucks and buses on zero-carbon fuel. That technology is ready and able to play out around our country. It's playing out in Germany and Sweden uh, in a more pronounced way today. At the same time, there's a generational uh, shift occurring, and the millennial generation is one that I'm paying a great deal of attention to, the people from their early 20s to roughly their mid-30s, who are uh, behaving differently. Some don't want a car. Some want to live in a city and just be close to where they work, close to restaurants, be able to bicycle, be able to walk. They don't... Uh, they don't seem to uh, uh, want to emphasize the material dimension as much as perhaps uh, my generation did. And I draw a great deal of, of uh, hope from them. Now, I'm a practical person, so in the end, you know, I like to test myself and make sure I'm grounded. But uh, I, I believe... Uh, from first-hand experience, that there is a breakout beginning to happen, not just here, not America, only Europe, South America, mayors of cities. Uh, the mayors of the U.S. Uh, declared that climate change is their most important priority today, the mayors of the United States, just uh, a few months back. So... Uh, there, there are wonderful things beginning to happen. I absolutely agree. I think that we're really um, moving in a whole, a, a whole new place and in a whole new world. And um, you know, um, when it, when I think about what what we can do as well as, you know, um, one of my jobs used to be. Uh, t- educating all the the university students on ways they could save things. I'll just I'll throw out a few of them and um I'll say a few and then Paul if you want to say a few. Um so anyone listening, when you brush your teeth, don't leave the water running. <laughs> simple simple things. Um what happened to clotheslines? We can still put our clothes outside. We don't have to use the dryer all the time. We can get the fresh air in. Um I loved the whole idea we were talking about walking to markets and, and bicycling to work and not having the lights on, all the lights on in the house all the time. Um, just simple things that people can do to reduce their consumption and really honor your own vibration and honor the earth in many ways. Uh, yes, and I, I think if you take the time um, and effort uh, to uh, do that, uh, you will become connected to this uh, Gaiac world. Uh, you will draw energy. You will draw as, at least as much energy from it as you're expending to do the task at hand. Yes, absolutely. So, book. Um, so, Paul, your book is called Out of the Wasteland, Stories from the Environmental Frontier, and where can people purchase your book? Well, you can go to uh, my website, uh, paulrelis.com, that's R-E-L-I-S dot com, and you will find uh, material about me. You'll order it on Amazon. Uh, very simple thing to do. 
uh, $15, fairly reasonable, and uh, you can get it in a day or two if you go that route. And, Paul, since this is spiritual tools, what is your favorite spiritual tool? Well, I think um, I would I would describe it in one word, uh, the art of detachment. Uh, detachment allows us uh, to see things as they are, maybe not as we hoped they would be or uh, we fear. Detachment allows for clarity. Clarity uh, enables us to live our lives skillfully and with responsibility and with care. And so uh, I would call it uh, the spiritual practice of detachment. That is amazing because that's really important because when we we take things for granted, you know, and we, um, as you talked about, the consumption society, but detachment is is an amazing, um, amazing tool. And is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners tonight? Um, Uh, Well, just uh, with the avalanche of information today, and uh, all the fear-based things that we hear in the media uh, kind of um, screen out a fair amount of that. Uh, Yes, climate change is a fearsome prospect. Uh, uh, I look at it as something we can still do something about. I feel that Uh, From my experience, California is doing remarkable things. I'm aware of initiatives in Massachusetts, uh, some in Maine, uh, Washington, Oregon, uh, even a city like uh, Lancaster, California. It's becoming the leading solar city in the United States, and you would never know uh, that a city in the desert, rather poor, uh, very conservative would be a leading light for solar in the world. Mm. I love that, you know, and I think, you know, I, and this is one thing I wanted to mention too, you speaking of a desert and um, I've actually never been to the Grand Canyon, haven't been yet, but I've heard, I know you said you've been, yes, many times maybe. Yes, yes, many times. And, and, um, but I'll never forget a story that I heard early on um, working in environmental ad- advocacy, and that was a story of David Brower. And many people may not remember this, but before the EPA, we actually had the Land Reclamation Bureau um, that you know oversaw all of the environmental things that were happening in the United States. And so it was early, it was I don't, don't know what year it was, but it was um, way back. Um, and what ended up happening was that the plan was to dam the Grand Canyon to be able to build a power plant to be able to um, fuel and, and run um, Las, power for Las Vegas. And um, David Brower said, no, that's not going to happen. And at the time, he was working with the Sierra Club, and he took out these full-page ads in the New York Times, the Washington Post, like all over the country, these full-page ads. And it was a picture of the, dam- the Grand Canyon. And the words were something like this. 
would you damn the Sistine's Chapel to be closer to God? We cannot undo this. Please do not stop this. Please stop this disaster. And he gave the number for the Land Reclamation Bureau. And just, you know, millions of people were calling, and so they stopped the, the plan of doing that. But, you know, I think of how people in their communities can really um, take action, and whether that's either you know, politically or organizing advocacy or just being an example for other people. I think that's really critical and when we when we when I'm we so, look at that. I'm so glad that you touched on David Brower and that example because uh, while he didn't do it alone, he was the voice, the symbol, the embodiment of standing uh, for Gaia in the face of a horribly destructive permanent action and with will, uh, with good feelings and spirit, he he turned the tide. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Paul. I'm so happy you were on the show, and I'm, uh, I will definitely be in touch with you soon. Everyone listening, please buy Paul's book. Go to his website, paulrellis.com, and um, also purchase on Amazon, Out of the Wasteland, Stories from the Environmental Frontier. Thank you so much, Paul. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you, Melissa, and thank you, listeners. Good night. Okay, now that was inspiring. I am so inspired when someone um, is doing such amazing work as Paul is doing and, and getting people um, connected to the environment. And I have to say it was such a wonderful opportunity to to, um, to channel for him and to have David Brower come through and say this book. So you can't say it's endorsed by David Brower, but he kind of said that from spirit. So um, <laughs> it was really wonderful. So um, I do have... Uh, some questions on uh, Facebook, but before I get to them, I wanted, speaking of the earth and the environment and energy, I, um, I'm going to start adding in another piece to the show, which is talking about new moon wishing. And those of you who've sat with me or taken my classes know that I'm really big on talking about new moon wishing and new moon astrology. And Many people talk about the full moon or the half moon or different moon phases, but the new moon really is energetically an opportunity for us to set intentions for better living for our own lives. And um, this book, I will say, it's called New Moon Astrology, Using New Moon Power, Days to Change and Revitalize Your Life. And it's by Jan Spiller, who is also the author of Astrology for the Soul. And since we're talking about the earth and the connections to the earth, I thought it would be a perfect time to talk about new moon wishing and the fact that tomorrow is a new moon. So usually once a month, sometimes twice a month, depending on the year, we have opportunities to set intentions around the new moon. And it really is a fact of the energy affects the earth and it affects the people on the earth. So if you would like to um, either get a pen and paper and just write, jot this down, uh, tomorrow um, at 9.54 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, it is um, the new moon in Leo. 
And what does Leo rule? So what you would do is you would set intentions based on what Leo rules. So Leo rules um, being proud of yourself, uh, fun and playfulness, loving life, sharing your heart with the world. It also rules dignity, determination, generosity, creativity, love, and romance. So what you could do is actually set an affirmation, write an affirmation based on those categories. And then what you do is you write the affirmation, you put it in an envelope, um, and I would always say write the affirmation with an IM, put it in the envelope, seal it, sign your name on the back of the envelope, and then put the date on the front of the envelope, and then find a place, maybe it's your altar, your special place that you use, or um, a special place where you put these type of intentions, and kind of let it sit, let it sit for a while, sometimes six months, sometimes a year, and go back and read them, and you'll find most of the time your intentions or your affirmations will have manifested, because using the power of the earth and the moon and the stars is really, really um, accurate and helpful. So let me go to Facebook, and I've asked people if they have an intuitive question they'd like me to tap into um, to write a comment. So I will just say your first name and your last initial. So Karen C., um, your question is, what would be a next step to move my Reiki business forward? Well, first of all, I want to say congratulations, Karen, because Reiki is is amazing. Um, Reiki is an energy that really uh, helps to align people with both their wisdom, it helps to clear and purify people. And if you haven't experienced Reiki, it's amazing. I believe that more and more people are going to be using Reiki because it really is um, a clearing, uh, bringing the energy into light body. So what I'm, what I'm hearing and seeing for you, Karen, around your business is I'm first seeing that um, uh, it'll be really good for you to connect. I, I do see you, I, I definitely see you doing Reiki within the medical field, so within the nursing field. Um, I see you talking with hospitals about uh, incorporating Reiki into um, the facility. I also, oh, this is a very, very strong energy. I also see you becoming a Reiki master and a Reiki master teacher. If you're not already a Reiki master, I do see you doing Reiki master and then a Reiki master teacher and teaching specifically nurses. That feels so strong for you. So um, I'm not sure where you are in the process of Reiki, um, if you are at the master level yet, but I, I do feel like you will continue to go there. In terms of starting the business now, I see... Um, making sure you get a Facebook page up and going, as well as um, I see uh, donating your services or giving a gift certificate to, it looks like a health care or an, an auction of some sort um, around uh, nursing for some reason. I keep seeing nursing. I don't know if you have any connections with um the ANA or the Maine Nurses Association, but I do see you doing talks there. So I see you getting out and talking with people. And I see animals around you too, so I don't know if you've considered doing Reiki for animals, but I do see that, um, I do see you working with animals as well. So those pieces feel 
um, really big for you. So I, I, I do feel like that's going to be a really strong um, strong piece for you. So Karen, I, I do feel like that's going to be really good. I'm just gonna um, I'm just gonna listen for a minute, Karen. If there's anything else that's coming up here, let me just breathe in. Okay, okay. Um, I'm seeing that. I'm also seeing you involved with. I don't know if this is a mind, body, spirit fair or holistic fair. And it, it looks like it's coming up. I don't know if this is in Portsmouth. I, I, I feel like it's in the Portsmouth area. So looking into Portsmouth and going and actually um, doing a fair there feels feels like that would be a strong a strong thing for you to do. So I hope that's helpful. But I, I do feel that for you it is um, working, uh, getting your word out there through the nursing community with nurses, um, in that way. So that feels very powerful for you. All right. So the next question I have here is from Courtney F. And Courtney F. has a question. Um, Should I put my energy into writing picture books or chapter books? Okay, let me breathe that in. Breathe that in. see. Okay, Courtney. Um, I actually see that your writing is pretty visual itself. So when I see these chapter books, I don't know if you write for children or you write for um, uh, a very creative, um, in a creative way. But I, I am seeing that this, it looks like, um, I want to say 11 through 16, um, you know, it, you know, it reminds me of. It almost reminds me of a Harry Potter book because, as I'm looking at your chapter books, I'm seeing that there's a lot of imagery in here. So, um, what your guides are showing me and they love is that, as as you are um, as you are writing, you're really getting the visuals down, very vivid, vivid images, vivid pictures, and I do feel like that you're going to be working with the chapter books around both. Um, tweens and uh, teens. Uh, I, I'm going more toward tweens, so that would be, you know, like the um, the 9 through 12-year-olds, uh, 12, 12 through 16. Um, but I feel like that's going to be a really great market for you. I do feel that's very strong. And the other piece is I feel like um, the characters that you have in these books are really, uh, they really come to life. They kind of leap off the pages. Um, when I see the chapter books as well, I do want to talk about, Courtney, that I see you doing um, a series. I see you doing a series of books. So um, it might be many different um, many different stories that go with this. So I'm feeling that that's going to be really huge for you. So they they do like that. They feel like that's going to be a really good um a good thing. So chapter books for you absolutely and series chapter books. So series chapter books feel so important for you. So Courtney, I, I hope that was helpful for you. And let's see here. 
So I do have um, one caller on the line, and what I will do is I'm going to just say your area code and ask if you're listening or if you have a question you'd like to tap in, you'd like me to tap into for spirit. So I'm, um, I will bring I will bring you on the air, and I will ask you um, if you are listening or if you have a question for spirit. I'll ask you your name, and then we'll go from there. So the the phone number I have area code two three nine uh, first. Uh, numbers are 940. Welcome Hi. to Spiritual Tools. Hi, are you listening or do you have a question for Spirit tonight? Well, I was listening. My computer isn't working. and But um, I do have a question. First, I okay, want to comment. That was a great show that you had there. While I was traveling through... Um, California, light working. I lived on the road for two years. I actually have books that I need published. But I stayed in Santa Barbara a lot. So I was really glad I got to get there before all that happened with the oil spill. I used my tuning forks while I was going up the coast and, and wells, dolphins, and then when I was in Santa Barbara, the, um, are they tunas or what are those great big fish that they... They were running with their kayaks to go get them. They were like, this is a miracle. They don't come in this time of the year. And I knew it was the tuning forks. And uh, so I had a good time in California with my tuning forks. And, and I heard that, that these were stardoms. I was bringing down stardoms. Because sometimes I hear from spirits. So I guess that should be my question is, um, why am I not? It's just so... You and far between when I can hear. I would love to be able to do what you do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You and far between. Yeah. So tell tell me your first name, please. Oh, I thought I did. I'm sorry, Diana. Diana. And what is your birth date, Diana? It's 5-7-54. Okay. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, I first want to comment and say, I almost mentioned the tuning forks and solfeggio frequencies because one of the oil spills, they actually used um, solfeggio frequencies, which are a higher frequency, to um, dissipate the oil in some of the oil spills. So, uh, so incredible of you to say that. Um, that is what my um, tuning forks are, solfeggio. Oh, well, see, there you go. We're on the same page. <laughs> so let me um let let me let me let me speaking of tuning forks, let me tune in to you, Diana. Let me just breathe in and see. <sighs> okay, I got it exactly. Okay, so um, would you understand that you are a very passionate person that does a lot of things? Yes. Okay. Um, and you have a lot of interests, a lot of different interests. A lot of holistic healing interests. Yeah, I'm like yes. a bridge to all. Yes. So, um, what what I'm hearing is that um, that when you, um, I almost feel like right now, pick one modality because I feel like you're doing a lot of different things. But I, I feel like if you picked if you pick one modality right now, um, and for you, I, I'm hearing solfeggio tuning forks as a as a huge modality for you, and using that primarily 
to do your work and to and to lift up higher to spirit. Does that make sense to you? Well, I've been doing that since uh, 2007. That's been my main modality. Oh, that Society has been doesn't, main modality. hasn't wanted to pay for it, though. You know, mostly okay. what I do is for free or for the earth. But I also yep. read the angel cards, and I'm a life coach. Okay. So I, I feel like... Um, what what they're showing me is that it's about pulling your energy back to you in a sense. Um, and I'm looking at you, really seeing you doing more maybe like group readings or group, um, like a channel with the solfeggio tones as well. So look into doing something like this okay. and doing a workshop um, and maybe doing this like at a community center in your area and start to grow um, people that way, that's what I'm feeling like. But I am feeling like you are meant to do this. You're definitely connected to, to tone for sure. And what I'm feeling like, it's just about aligning you with the right modality, with the right, maybe the right place. And so I do feel like working with community centers, bringing people together and, um, you know, making sure that you have some type of sliding fee or fee scale that people would pay to come in the door and then I feel like then they get to see what you do and then they they understand it in a deeper way and then it goes, then they start to come to you on a regular basis. Well, I have advertised what you've just said and mostly I get a big question. You know, every metaphysical bookstore or, or every metaphysical shop or, you know, during their psychic fairs and... um I don't know. It's, that acceptance has to happen. Maybe I'm in the wrong and, place for it. I, you know. And I, I feel like um, it will happen, but maybe it's a smaller, a smaller place, like a smaller um, community center, and maybe even it's people who are earth-minded. So that might be the mm-hmm. key: is earth-minded. But I do feel like that will happen for you. But thank you so much for well, calling I will tonight. Keep that with them. Okay, thank thanks you. for calling. Yeah. Okay, bye bye. Okay, so what a great show tonight. Um I will continue to do the Facebook um questions uh for the shows and also take callers on the air. So we have just a few minutes left and so I'm gonna ask you if you can wherever you are, go ahead and close your eyes if you're not driving, (laughs) please, when you're not driving. And just take a nice deep breath in. Hold and exhale. And just relax into this moment. And I want you to imagine that you're sitting in the core of the earth and you can feel the energy of the earth all around you. And imagine that the stars are dancing in your honor. The sun is shining down on you or the moon, wherever you are in the world right now. And you feel the earth's energy rise up to meet your feet. And as you look around, you see that you're seated in the center of the earth. And you can feel and see all around this majestic place. And I want you to imagine that you can hear the eagles. You can feel the whales and their energy and their harmony. So since we're talking about the earth tonight, let's go ahead and just breathe in and send healing to the earth. Send healing to any uh, environmental devastation, whether it's man-made or earth-made. 
So sending energy to any oil spill, chemical spill, sending energy to people who are and animals who have been affected by fires, by earthquakes, people who have been affected by storms, washouts. And just raise your frequency and breathe love from the center of your heart all the way out around the planet, sending them love and light and sending love and light into your heart. And listen to these words and allow them to deepen inside of you. You are one. You are one with the earth. You are one. You are one with the stars. You are one. Connect to your oneness, your great oneness, your knowing, your inner knowing. And know that as you live a high vibrational life, you are a being of light who sends energy and love to all those you meet. So with your smile, with your laugh, with the way that you speak to the flowers, just do it with grace and abundance and light. And may you treat all living beings, earth, animal, and people, with respect and one love and kindness. And as you do, you bring love to the earth and love to humanity and love to this conscious evolution that we are living. May you be well and may you be one. Until next week, I'm Melissa Boyd with Spiritual Tools. You can find me at melissaboyd.net. And until next week, may I be of your divine loving service and may you live in the light of the divine that you are. Be well.